to the detail that maybe uh, you've overlooked uh, in the New Testament. Maybe not. Some of you may know this. Uh, maybe it's kind of a, a, a trivia question of sorts. But uh, when you read through the book of Acts, and so if you're not familiar, the book of Acts, fifth book of the New Testament that shows the spread of the early church, right? So Acts goes from 30 AD to about 65 AD in its period. And what's happening is the gospel goes out. But there's this phrase that's used, a kind of early title for the church that we don't really use today, but they use in Acts. And I think it's actually in there five times. And maybe you know what it is as you think about it, but maybe maybe not. Maybe you've escaped it or it's just you kind of gloss over it sometimes when you're reading. But when you read in Acts, it says over and over, it talks about the way. It talks about the early church being the way. And they say that at different times. Like there's, there's one in particular case where, where Paul's talking uh, and it says, and they were they were attacking the way. And it's oftentimes capitalized, like when you read in the ESV or New American Standard, and it's because that was this title that was given to the church, and that's what they were known as. And so not as not as Christians, or although that was used sometimes, and some other different things that were used, but that's the title that you see in Acts, the way. And I was thinking about that this week, the title used there, the way, and the way they use that, and I can't help but think that that's not connected to Jesus' own words in John chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus spoke of himself this way as the way. Uh, you start to see what he's saying there, that he says he is the only way to come to the Father, to have a relationship with God is through Jesus and what he's done. But then you start to think about why they were known as that, and I'm sure it was because of what Jesus said but also just uh, this idea that they were showing the world what God is like, the way in which to live, the way in which to operate, the way in which to glorify God. And so I started to think about that title. I, I actually really like that title when you stop and think about it and what it points us to. And I think it goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about ways in which we can live up into simple habits that help us follow Jesus more fully, uh, to be walking in this newness of life that we have, walking in the way in a lot of ways. Uh, it goes with Colossians 3 and verse 10. Uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago when we first started this five-week series, that was kind of the, the banner statement over the first week. Colossians 3.10 says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Right, That we're putting on this new self, this new way of living. Uh, this new way of operating in the world. And so we've been talking about some things that we can begin to make regular habits in our life that help us to grow up into the fullness of what God has called us to be. And so the last couple of weeks, for, for example, the first week we talked about blessing others, seeking to bless three people throughout the week in word, in deed, or actions, or gifts, just looking for opportunities to do that. And the second week we talked about eating with other people, just inviting people into your home, eating with people that are outside of your immediate family, looking for opportunities to sit together around a meal and how that opens doors to all sorts of conversations and friendships and, and deeper conversations. And then last week we talked about listening to the Spirit, setting aside a time in your week to be still and to be quiet before the Lord, to practice solitude and, and to listen for the Spirit in your life and what it is that God is, is calling you to and what He is saying to you. But then today we're going to talk about this fourth habit. And really the big idea today is this idea of, of learning Christ. And what I mean by that is really seeing who Jesus is and then living out of the reality of who Jesus is and who he is in us. And in order to do that, you have to know who he is. 
You really have to understand who he is and the way he's revealed himself and what that looks like. And so today we're going to spend time in John chapter 15. And I think of this in a lot of ways, uh, this idea of learning Christ, this, this fourth of the, the five habits we're talking about, uh, with the, the statement that was over the seminary that I went to. Uh, Columbia International University and then Columbia Biblical Seminary had this statement of to know him and to make him known. That was kind of the banner statement over it, to know who Jesus is and to know who God is and then to make him known as you go out into the world. And so that's really what we're talking about, of knowing who Jesus is. And so I want us to think about that idea together today. But as we go back into this and we continue to talk about these habits, there's one caveat I just want to keep saying to you and I want to make sure that we don't miss this. And uh, I've said it the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to say it again. We want to be in the center of the biblical tension And so I want to be careful when we say these are habits and things that we can begin to put into practice and we want to seek to emulate Jesus and we want to follow him and we want to do these things. But let's be very, very clear. You are not saved and accepted before God because you do these things and do them really well. And that's really good news because if that were true, all of us would fail and none of us would ever be able to stand before a holy, righteous, perfect God. But we get to do these things and we get to live up into the fullness of what God has called us to be in Jesus. And we're not doing this for our salvation, but we're doing this because of who we are in Christ. And we want to honor him and we want people to see that. And we want to, to grow closer to him. We want to have the fullness of joy that is available when we seek to follow him in all these ways. And so I just want us to be real clear that we're not talking about things that we do that then God accepts us because we do them well enough. And the reason I say that and the reason I keep coming back to that and make sure that that's clear is that's our heart's default a lot of the time. That's often the way we think. We start to think that we're good with God by how good we are. When the truth is the only way that we're good with God is because of what Jesus has done for us, right? That's why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so I want to make sure that's clear. But now as we think about this idea and we we look at it together in John chapter 15, I want us to look at it this way. There's a couple things that we need to consider as we think about learning Jesus and following him and, and showing what that's like. First of all, there's a realization that we need to come to that he says here. Secondly, there's a step of obedience that we begin to, to walk out. But then lastly, I want to challenge you with this habit and some practical ways in which we can do that. But let's start with the realization that we must come to as we begin to think about truly uh, learning Jesus and walking in his ways and following him in all things. And so we're going to look at John chapter 15 here. I realize we looked at this uh, last year, if you're here with us, when we went through the Gospels, although it's been about six months now. But let me just remind you real quick, if you don't remember where we were when we looked at this passage last year, or maybe, maybe you weren't here. But as we get to John chapter 15, this is part of what we call the farewell discourse. So Jesus is saying a lot of really big, important things to his disciples right before he dies. In fact, this is a couple hours before he will be arrested and then he'll be taken and crucified. This is either late Thursday evening, maybe even getting close to the early hours of Friday morning and he will be crucified on Friday morning. And so Jesus is talking and telling them and saying a lot of things. Uh, he's just spent time with the disciples in the upper room. We often say the upper room discourse, John 13 and 14. But if you notice in this, in John 14 and in verse 31, the very last thing he says is rise and let us go from here. 
And so just, this is kind of important background, just what he's talking about. He's going to start talking about the vine and the branches and, and you're the branches and I'm the vine and you must abide in me. And he's going to use this image that's there. But Jesus gets up and he says, rise, let us go from here. And they're in Jerusalem at this time in this upper room that they've, they've shared this meal together, the Passover meal, and they get up and they leave. And they start making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray and then he'll be betrayed by Judas and arrested. But when they go from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane, they have to go down and walk through the Kidron Valley. And so they come down from Jerusalem and they follow that down. They go through this valley and then they start to go back up to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what we know from history and what's there is there's a whole bunch of vineyards there. And so as Jesus walks with his disciples and he's teaching them, he does what he often does is he teaches really, really important truths with everyday things that are in front of him. And he does this all the way throughout the gospels, right? He talks about the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and he's pointing out things that are around and he's doing that all the time. And Jesus is a great teacher. He uses simple lessons right in front of him. And so he starts to be talking about these vines and the branches and what this looks like. Um, if he were speaking today, he probably would use some other example of something that we see all the time. Although I would say this is not a, a hard thing for us to understand living in North Georgia. We've got a lot of trees and a lot of things around us. In fact, every time I pull into the church, I don't know if you notice this, but every time you pull in, there's always some branches down, right? If it rained or it was windy this week, there's some branches down and you see them laying there. And when you see a branch that's detached, that's fallen off, it's usually withered up or it's, it's crunchy and it's kind of hard now because it's no longer connected to the tree. And that's really the analogy that Jesus uses here. He talks about the vine and the branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. And he starts to give us this example. Look at what he says here. He says, abide in me. This is verse four. And I in you is the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. You see that every time you pull in here, there's branches out there and we go out there and we gather them up, we throw them in the woods, right? Because they're now dead and they're withering because they're no longer connected. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And this is the realization that we must come to when we start to think about following Jesus and what that looks like. Jesus says very clearly, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? He, he makes no, uh, he couldn't say it any clearer. He says it so directly here, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I want you just to think about that for a second, because there's a lot of ways in which we could think about even that statement that he says that apart from him, that we can do absolutely nothing. And the first thing that I would say to you is what I touched on already, but it's important for us to be reminded, is that Jesus, and he even says it here, if you look at verse three, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I think that's going back to chapter 13 when he washes their feet, right? Do you remember this story? He washes the disciples' feet and Peter says, not me, Lord, you're not gonna wash my feet, and Peter's trying to be real altruistic and that's not going to happen here and you don't need to wash my feet. And he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, wash everything, wash my whole body. And he goes, no, 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 you're already clean. And he's telling them that you're already clean. You're already good with God because you've trusted who Jesus is and you've trusted his word. And that's what he's saying here. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you and you know me and you're putting your faith in me. 
And what Jesus is telling us is that we're saved by what he's done for us. It's the same thing he says in the chapter right before this. In chapter 14, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so when we say we can do nothing apart from Jesus, that includes our salvation. You cannot be good with God apart from who Jesus is. He says, I'm the only way. And the reason that he's the only way is because he's fully God and he's fully man and he's lived this life perfectly in all the ways that we failed. And then he chooses to lay his life down for us. And we are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done for us. I say this all the time. But saving faith is transferring your trust from yourself and your performance and your doing to Jesus and what he's done and him alone. And that's the only way that we can be good with God. None of us can earn our worth before him. And so the first thing that we need to say when, when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing that includes your salvation. You cannot be good with God based on what you do. It is only through what Jesus has done. But then that's not all he says. Look at verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And I'm gonna stop there. But he tells them, That if you're going to do good works, you're going to do the things that you were created for, that you have to be abiding in Jesus. And so I would say to you that we can't even do good works apart from him. We can't do the things that we were designed for apart from Jesus. And so that's partly we can't earn our worth before him. But I want us to even think about that a little deeper. Apart from God, apart from doing things, trusting him, and in faith, we cannot please him. The Bible actually says that very clearly in in Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek them, that you have to be operating in trust. And so there's this really important idea in the Bible, this idea of faith and works and how they go together. I, I just told you, you can't be saved by your works. So even your salvation is a gift of God, and that's the only way that you can be good with God. But then when we start to think about the good works that we are called to do, and we're called to follow him, he's remaking us in his image to follow him in all things, but we can't do that apart from faith. If it's just left up to us, and it's just our works, and it's just me doing those things, then I'm still ignoring God and the world he created, which is sin. I'm still not doing things for his glory. I'm doing it for me. And there has to be that balance there. And so oftentimes you'll hear people say, rightly so, it's in James chapter 2 and verse 17, faith without works is dead. And you know what James is saying there? He's saying that if there's nothing in your life that looks like you know Jesus, there's not good reason to believe that you know Jesus. He says your works are evidence of your faith. Faith without works is dead. But the inverse is true. Works without faith is dead. And Jesus says this over and over, right? He says this to the religious leaders of the day. You profess me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He says you do a lot of activity, but you're not doing it out of seeking to honor God and who he is. And it has to be both of those things. Faith without works is dead. Your life should be changed when you come to know Jesus. 
But if you start to do a bunch of things so that God will accept you, you don't really know who God is. You don't recognize the holiness of who he is and how great he is. And you're thinking you can earn it by what you do. And so you're not actually honoring him. Or you do things just to say, hey, look at me and I'm a good person. And you're not actually doing it from faith. And in those things, we're not honoring him. And so what Jesus is saying is that you cannot do anything apart from him. You can't do truly good works apart from faith in him and trusting him and who he is. Now, you may ask the question. That's a good question. If you think about it, you go, well, wait a second. I know people that are not believers that do lots of good things. I'm sure we could go around. You could tell me of friends that you have that are not professing faith, that don't know Jesus, that aren't saying that they're a follower of Christ, and they're pretty good people, right? You you watch them uh, give of their time, and they go and they volunteer, and they do great things. And you go, well, wait a second, they're doing good things. How, how can you say, apart from Jesus, you do no good works? And what the Bible says is that God is so gracious that he gives his grace to all people. That he gives his common grace to all people. That we all uh, are, are made in his image and we all bear the marks of our creator. And because he's gracious, he allows people to do good things that are helpful for the world. That may benefit other people. Because of his common grace. Now there's a kind of a a second part of that. That they're not actually honoring God. So it's not truly good works. In the sense of honoring who God is and the way that he's created them. Right? So if, if you're a really brilliant person and you do great things and you say, but there's no God. There is no God and I figured this out because I'm brilliant. That's sin. You're ignoring God and the world he's created, and it's not truly good works. Now, it may benefit other people, right? There's been a lot of brilliant scientists and doctors and all sorts of inventors that have come up with great things that have benefited humanity all the while when they're saying there is no God. That's because God is gracious, and he allows them to do those things for the good of others, even though they're ignoring God. But what the Bible teaches is that we can't truly do anything good Apart from Jesus. You could even take it a step further. You can't do anything apart from Jesus. Right? You can't breathe. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus upholds the world by the power of his word. I say this often. Uh, I, I don't take credit. I give it to Jonathan Edwards. I think he said it this way. You exist because God says so. And so whatever you do that's really good and the gifts that you have are because God blessed you with them. And so quite literally, you can do nothing apart from him. And so when we start to think about all these levels in which that's the case, we have to come to that realization if we're going to begin to walk with Jesus and truly know him, to learn who Christ is and who he is in our life. We can't do anything apart from him. But I'll give you one more part of that. Uh, Go back to what I said at the beginning, the early church being known as the way. And I love that thought, the way, the way in which you are called to live, the way in which you are created, the way in which God designed you to be. And apart from Jesus, you will never find the fullness of meaning that God created you for, that it's only in him. We can do nothing apart from him, but we'll never find the fullness of what we were made for apart from Jesus. 
And so he says that over and over and he tells us that. I'm telling you these things that your joy may be full. He's calling us to that and he's telling us that that's the only way in which that will happen. But I want you to think about this because I'm going to come back to this in just a second. This idea of learning Christ, right? We, we have to understand that we can't do anything apart from him. But then we also have to understand that there's, there's a link between our theology and our understanding and what's going on in our mind and our life and knowing who he is. I want you to think about this for a second. If we come to Jesus and it's not the way he's revealed himself, we can quickly get off into all sorts of problems, right? Like if we're, if we're saying Jesus is like X and it's of our own making, which we all do, by the way, I'm not exempt from that. All of us do that at different times. We go, well, Jesus would never say that. He go, well, why do you say that? And sometimes it's just because of what we grew up around or what we heard and we're not coming to the way that he revealed himself. And if we're not coming to Jesus in the way he revealed himself, then we're suddenly not worshiping Jesus and we're not knowing him as he revealed himself. I hesitate to use this example, but I'm going to use it, so forgive me if it's a bad one. Uh, there was a movie years ago called Talladega Nights. If you've not seen Talladega Nights, don't. It will probably make you dumber. It will probably lower your IQ if you watch it. But in this movie, Will Ferrell is a NASCAR driver. And if you know Will Ferrell, and you could probably put that together, it's a ridiculous slapstick dumb movie. But he's sitting around the table with his family saying grace. And they start arguing over the Jesus that they like to pray to. And Will Ferrell says, well, I like to pray to the baby Jesus. And I like to think of him in the, in the manger and in his diaper. And that's the Jesus I pray to. And then his buddy goes, well, I like to think of Jesus in a tuxedo shirt, tuxedo t-shirt. It's kind of serious, but it really says I like to party. And he said, I like my Jesus to party because I like to party. And then his son says, well, I like my Jesus to be a samurai Jesus. And he's beating all the ninjas up. And they all start going through this ridiculous thing. But my point is this. We kind of do that at different times. We kind of have our own Jesus. And my Jesus would never say this. And my Jesus would never do It's real common in our culture today. My Jesus would accept everybody exactly as they are and never call you to repentance at all ever because Jesus is pure love. It's like, oh, not exactly. That's not exactly what the Bible says. Or, Or we might go to another extreme. And we say, Jesus would never talk to somebody like that. And it's like, uh, I don't think so. Like, that's kind of what he was known for, being around the tax collectors and the sinners and the, the margins of society. And so what ends up happening is we start to make a Jesus of our own doing. And then we start to go, well, that's the Jesus that I want to follow. And what ends up happening is suddenly Jesus looks just like you. And you no longer have a relationship with the God of the universe, but you have an idol that looks just like you, that likes all the things that you like and dislikes all the things that you dislike. And it's not actually that you're following your Savior anymore. And so what Jesus tells us here, he even says that to us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's a pretty amazing statement. If you are really trusting me and you're abiding in me, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you hear what he's saying? You abide in my word and the way that I have revealed myself to you and you keep my commandments and you trust me and God's going to do these amazing things. But the, the picture here is that you're abiding in his words. And so I want you to just think about the big picture of what it even means to abide. It's in his word and what his word says and letting that stand over you. But then it's also beginning to live that out. And so you have to come to the realization that you can do nothing apart from Jesus. But then as you do, you have to begin to take those steps of obedience, of trusting him in everything. And so that's the second thing I want us to consider, that you must begin to follow his ways. Right? He says here uh, of following his commandments And and it says here, I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And he's telling us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, right? And so there's there's an understanding of what that is and the way he's revealed himself and what his word says. But then the next step is then you begin to live it. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? So abide in my commandments and follow them. It's not just some assent in your mind. It's not just theological truths that you go, yes, I believe those things. He says, then you do it. And there's that link that we talked about the very first week. To know something in the Bible is then to do it. And if you really know it, then you do it. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. If you say this, but then your life doesn't begin to do any of those things, then you don't really know it. And so Jesus says here, this is my commandment that you love one another. Greater Love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Do you hear that? He says, I chose you and I appointed you that you would bear fruit. He doesn't say, I chose you and appointed you that you would have all the theology perfectly together in your mind. He says, you're going to understand who I am and you've come to know me and you're loving me. And now you're going to go and and operate in these ways. You're going to walk in his ways and begin to love him and to love others in those ways. He says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask The father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another, right? So he tells you, this is the reason for my commandments, so that you will love one another. And so it's important for us to see that connection there that we are called into this. We cannot abide in Christ just in our mind. It's in our life. It's in every area of our life. That's why we talk about discipleship here, growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life. Yes, it's it's knowing his word. It's knowing the way he's revealed himself. It's coming to those things. And then it's beginning to step out and walk those out and trusting him, trusting him in everything. It's been a while since I've had a C.S. Lewis quote in my sermon. So I'm going to give you a C.S. Lewis quote. It's been at least a month or two. When I first started, it was like every week. It just seems safe ground. I was like, oh, I don't know what's oh, C.S. Lewis said the better, so I'm just going to read C.S. Lewis. 
But he says, C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, he says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ and then to make them into little Christ. If you are not doing that, all the cathedrals and clergy and missions and sermons and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be together, gathered together in him. And so I want you to be careful in what he says there, making us into little Christ. And you go, oh, what is it? Right? You're not saved because you're now Jesus. Jesus has saved you and you are now united to him and the spirit is now indwelling and he's remaking you into his image. And it's by his grace through faith that he's doing it, that we now get to live this way and we get to begin to live these things out. And so as we are abiding in him, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. And so here's where I want to end with our challenges, right? Bless others, eat with others, listen to the spirit And then learn Christ. And so here's the challenge for you. The fourth habit. Uh, We're doing read through the Bible. Read scripture together. I want you to keep reading through scripture. Right? We have this read through the Bible plan. Keep doing that. As you read through it, all of God's word is God's word. Right? Jesus is the word and you're hearing from him and you're growing in your understanding of who God is as you do that. But I'd like to challenge you for just one period a week. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's five minutes to read the stories of the gospel and think about what it's like to be walking with Jesus and who he is. Now, that doesn't mean we don't learn about Jesus in other places in the Bible or the gospels are more God's word. I'm not saying that. But seeing those stories and the way Jesus operates and the way he lives and the way he interacts with people, that we would truly know Christ and learning his ways. Right? They said the, the early church was known as the way. And they saw Jesus as the way. And they were following his ways. And that we would continue to grow and learn in that. Maybe it's, it's picking up a book on Jesus and the culture around the time that helps explain that and helps you see that more fully. But just spending time seeing who Jesus is and learning what he's like. I don't know if this is true of you or not. And maybe it's not. Maybe this is an unfair thing to say. But do you know the stories of the gospel as well as you know your favorite movie? Or your favorite TV show? Or your favorite athlete? And their stats and where they went to school and what they did and all. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you know the things that he did and the things that he said and the way that he operated and the way that he loved people? in the way that he spoke the truth, in the way that he was the perfect balance of truth and grace everywhere he went. And so I want to challenge you to know Jesus like that, to continue to learn Christ, to continue to learn the ways in which he's operating. And then as we go out into the world, as he tells us to do, to love one another as I have loved you. We can't really know how he loves us unless we know who he is and what he's done. And we spend time seeking him in that. But then as we see him and as we grow in that, that we would begin to step into those things. That that would be ringing in our ears and everywhere we go. I want to love people the way that Jesus loved me. 
And so I just want to encourage you to learn Christ. Whatever that looks like, continue to, to seek his face, to know what he's like, that we would love others in the way that he's loved us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That not only that you came, but then you've preserved your word. You've given us these accounts of exactly what you're like, that we can know you, that we can see your face, that we can know what you're like. Lord, we want to grow in our understanding of who you are. We want to follow you in all ways. We want to love others in the ways that you have loved us as you command us to do. You tell us that there is great fruit, that there is glory in doing so and following you. And so give us hearts to love others the ways that you have loved us, that we would seek to do that with each moment of our lives. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.